Welcome to America's Town Hall. This is Heidi St. John. And today I'm very excited because I have a guest with me, Mike Winther, who's the founder and president of the Institute for Principal Studies. And I was introduced to him because one of his staff members sent me a, a really great publication that they put out in the winter of 2020 called COVID Civil Authority in the Church. I'm actually going to link to it in the show notes today so that you guys can get your own copy. And we are in a terrifying place in our nation right now. The Democrats absolutely hell-bent on taking away our liberties. The question needs to be, what is the proper role of government? And there are many people in the Congress and in the Senate and certainly in the Biden administration who do not understand the proper role of government. And we're watching right now what happens when the government outsteps and oversteps its jurisdiction. We We've watched the closure of millions of businesses. The government has made it illegal for many people in the country to go to work. These COVID lockdowns have absolutely crippled the country. We're continuing to see it happen. Now they're going to overstep their bounds again by mandating vaccines. This is absolutely wrong. And so my guest today is going to come on the show with me, and we're going to have a hard-hitting conversation about COVID and civil government. And we're going to end the show by talking about what we can do and what Congress can do to be begin to stem the bleeding of a government that's out of control. Thanks for tuning in today to America's Town Hall. This is Heidi St. John. That's right. Of, of, of people who are law-abiding citizens of that country. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So let's move on to something else because you and I talked about this, you know, before we started recording. I thought, oh man, that's so good. So people are frustrated right now. So I'm I'm traveling up and down uh, Washington State's third congressional district where I'm running for the United States House of Representatives, and I'm asking questions. I'm basically on a listening tour right now, and I'm just trying to find out how are you guys, how are you doing? Because the district is, is actually pretty large. And I have encountered so much anger and so much frustration. I've actually had citizens come to me and say, if you are my congresswoman and you hear that this entire county has decided to stop paying its taxes because the federal government has uh, encroached on our ability to take trees off of our own property to sell them to make money so that we can pay our house payment, what would your response be? And I went all my, my first response was to say, well, I don't think that people just stop paying their taxes. So we probably need to look into what's actually going on, right? Because that's an extreme measure. But the question then becomes, when, when is it appropriate for citizens to say no more? What does this civil disobedience or whatever you want to call it look like? When is it appropriate and how, how does it manifest itself in a way that is helpful and not making the situation worse? I think there's two overarching things one looks at. Uh, one has to look at when it's permissible to rebel against government. And then the second question is, is when is it um, practical to do it? And so there are times that it might be permissible to rebel, but it's not advisable or not practical. And so these are two separate issues. The first issue is when is it permissible? Well, you go back to that proper rule of government, and the church has wrestled with this over the, the centuries. Uh, governments have oftentimes tried to limit the church, and the church has wrestled with, you know, can we rebel? When can we rebel? And there's really two thoughts here. 
what a lot of modern pastors will say is that the church can rebel only when the government asks you to disobey God's word. So if the government required you to abort your baby, that would be something where you could rebel because the government's asking you to break God's law. And I would fully grant that that is a permissible time for rebellion. Uh, when the government asks you to do something that violates God's law. But I don't think that is the clearest and best standard. The broader standard is that you are allowed to rebel when government acts outside of its proper authority. Now that's a very different thing. Let me give you an example and let's take it out of civil government into church government. Let's say for example that your church, the elders meet, the leaders of your church, and they say, we're going to have a standard for all our families that bedtimes for children in our church are now 7 p.m. So every church family with kids has to have their kids in bed by 7 p.m. I would suspect that most Christians would say to the church leadership, you're acting outside of your authority. That is not a matter of church authority. That is a matter of family authority. And I don't suppose any of your listeners would have a hard time saying, yeah, that's probably an overreach of the church. And as a family, you'd not be required to submit to that. And I would agree. So if your church leadership demands something of families or members that goes beyond the proper scope of church authority, the families are not obligated to submit. So really, it's a question of jurisdiction. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And you take the same scenario and say, what if the civil government, what if Congress passed the law and the president signed it and the Supreme Court signed off on it, where the nation says every family has to put their kids to bed at seven o'clock at night? I would hope we'd say the same thing. That is outside of civil government authority. That is family authority. Therefore, we do not have to submit. So how do you, so this is, you know, this is so eye-opening and, and this is how I've, you know, we've been framing it, but I just, I love the way that you're so simply framing it because people who are listening to this are going to be going, oh, you know, because we've seen Romans 13, you know, these pastors who misunderstand a proper application of Romans 13 and their, their uh, application has been, we obey no matter what the government tells us to do, unless it's really, really clear cut, like I'm going to force you to get an abortion. But what you are saying is when the government goes out of its God-given role and and oversteps its jurisdiction, in other words, its authority, you've gone outside of the scope of your authority, then we have a responsibility to say, no, you've overstepped your bounds. This is this is family. This is in the jurisdiction of family authority. This is in, in the jurisdiction of the church. And now you've overstepped and you've gone out of your out of your territory, out of your jurisdiction, and into someone else's. So what does that look like? Let's let's bring it home to COVID, right? Because the government has used COVID to overstep its authority in absolutely unimaginable ways, right? I mean, we could never have imagined this. In fact, just a couple of days ago, uh, Governor Newsom, who is, you know, I call him Governor Gruesome, the, the horrible dictator in California, who promised, by the way, to surrender his so-called emergency powers uh, by June 15th in a press conference at a vaccine lottery event, which that's a whole other podcast, um, he claimed that it, quote, wasn't the time to surrender my powers because of an uncertainty in the future. So he's saying uncertainty in the future is reason enough to maintain his power 
to enforce mask mandates and restrictions on the free operation of business. This is criminal, in my opinion. What he's doing to his citizens in saying, you cannot provide for your family. I've now deemed you as essential and you are not essential. This man has absolutely gone outside of the bounds of uh, government. But then they, but then the legislature in California is going to say, no, we passed a law and gave it to him. So then what? Well, boy, there's a lot to unpack there. I know. Uh, I do this to people all the time. No, but uh, (laughs) this is good. Going back to Romans 13, uh, just real quickly, uh, one of the things people overlook in Romans 13 is Romans 13 very clearly says that the the government's authority comes from God. So because that authority comes from God, you have to look to the pages of Scripture to see what that authority is. That's the first thing. Second of all, uh, the civil authority in Romans 13 is called God's minister. Well, Adolf Hitler was not God's minister in that regard and does not need to be obeyed. Uh, Also, keep in mind in the New Testament, we've got two occasions where Jesus' apostles disobeyed the civil magistrate. Oh, did they not read Romans 13? No, as a matter of fact, you know, um, they would have the same gospel, right? So uh, we can believe what what they did. Um, so I think there's just been some misteaching on Romans 13 that, yes, we submit when the civil magistrate is acting within their proper authority. Back to the, the COVID issue. You know, what we've done with COVID is we've taken away people's rights. We have said to the church, you cannot meet. And by the way, in, in Christianity, we get this whole idea about how important it is for the church to meet, and it is. But we sometimes forget that there is a God-given freedom for every group to meet whether it's the Lions Club or Kiwanis or Rotary. And the church needs to be as zealous for the freedom of those organizations to meet as the church is for our own meeting. So the question is, gee, this COVID response, we are going to limit people's liberties. So what is our legal standard for when we can limit someone's liberty? When do we allow the civil government to take away someone's freedom? Well, we allow the civil government to take away someone's freedom when they are guilty and have been found guilty of violating someone else's liberty. So the bank robber, we take away their freedom of movement by putting them in jail. You know, the murderer, we may take away their their life by executing them. So what is the standard for taking away someone's liberty? Well, our judicial system has only ever had two standards. And these standards were really developed over years of jurisprudence. Uh, They were put into writing by a guy named William Blackstone in the 1700s, who was a Christian judge and jurist in England. He wrote Blackstone's Commentaries on Law, uh, a series of documents that are full of scripture. They're full of biblical principle. And Blackstone's Commentaries were the law school text in all the Western world for 150 years. And Blackstone basically says there's two standards. You don't convict someone of a crime and take away their freedom unless you can prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that the person is guilty. So let's say we want to take away Mike Winther's freedom to go to church because Mike Winther might have COVID and might give it to someone at church. And their mind says we want to protect everybody's health. Therefore, government can protect people from Mike Winther. For the government to be able to infringe Mike Winther's liberties by the standard of justice in the Western world, which I believe has a biblical foundation, they would have to prove, and it would be the government's first burden, to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm going to give someone COVID. 
and it would have to be malicious. I would think, right? I mean, if 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 this is if this is truly, I mean, and I mean, I know that this isn't the point of what we're talking about, but I just want to jump in again and say we're talking about a virus with a ninety nine point eight nine percent survival rate. The vast majority of people who contract this virus are going to survive, and so we're not we're not talking about you know the bubonic plague. We're not talking about a smallpox epidemic, and that is what is so astonishing to me. You're right. But Heidi, I would say that the principle is the same regardless of the severity of the disease. So if the survival rate was only 50% from COVID, I would hold to the same principles that you cannot restrict someone's liberty. I don't care if it's freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of movement, freedom to shop, freedom to go to church. You cannot restrict someone's liberty unless the government meets some standard of probability. We do not put people in jail. We do not take away their rights, or at least we shouldn't, unless there's a certain standard of probability that they are guilty of a crime. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And this this should actually terrify ordinary Americans. I think regular people should be going, oh, my word, if they'll step outside of their jurisdiction, if they will take away our rights to travel, our right to make a living, our right to go to the grocery store, our right to assemble a church, if they will take away those for a virus with a 99.98% survival rate, that that's a very, very low bar. And, uh, and it, and it's, it's terrifying. And you're right, whether the, whether the survival is 3% or 99.89%, the, the principle is the same, but it, it's a very alarming fact now that our government feels capable for doing it for literally no good reason at all. No, no question. And I think we forget the idea that people act rationally on their own. Let's say that COVID was 75% fatal. Don't you suppose that our society on its own would be taking extreme measures? You know, we would be isolating ourselves gladly. Absolutely. That's (laughs) right. Yeah. Um, But they don't trust the people. They want the people to trust the government. That's exactly right. And so the bottom line here is what is the standard uh, of probability when we're going to allow the government to take away our freedom. And when we're talking about putting someone in jail, and that's essentially what we've done for the last several months, we've tried to put people in in jail in their homes. Uh, What is that standard? We would never have done that for less than a jury of 12 people saying beyond a reasonable doubt, this person is guilty of a crime. And the idea is it's not government's job to protect us. This is something I think has been a misnomer that even in the early days of my teaching, I didn't have a clear distinction. There's a big difference between protecting our rights and protecting us. You see, if government's going to protect Mike Winther, then government should keep me from that order of McDonald's French fries. Because, right? That, that's right. And, and government should, if government's job is to protect my health, then government should mandate that I consume broccoli and carrots and all these kinds of things. That, that's true. Yep. And they tried to ban 64 ounce sodas in New York. And yep. Um, so the issue is that if we go down the road where it's government's job to protect our health, that is a dangerous, dangerous road. No, the job of government is really not to protect us. The job of government is to protect our rights. And there's a big difference between protecting our our person, our body, our health versus protecting our rights. 
That's exactly right. And I think people need to understand that. And I think once we start, we, we have not been teaching this in our schools. We've not been teaching this in our, certainly not in our churches. And we're talking about generations now of students and young people who don't understand what the proper role of government is. I want to go back really quickly to uh, what Blackstone had said, because we didn't get to the second point. We got to the first one, which was you can't convict somebody without reasonable uh, doubt, right? And what was the second one? Yeah, there's a second standard that is lower, and that is the standard just for searching someone's property. Uh, this would be the search warrant type of thing. You know, we think maybe a crime was committed. Uh, we think maybe Mike Winther robbed the bank, and we think maybe the evidence... Uh, the cash is in his home, so we want a search warrant to search his home. And the standard for issuing a search warrant uh, is considered probable cause. And probable cause in the Western uh, legal tradition has always had a numerical statistical number associated with it. And probable cause means more likely than not, or you might say 51% probability. So if the police want to search Mike Winther's home because they think he might have robbed the bank, the police would have to demonstrate evidence to a judge that indicates more likely than not, 51% probability, that Mike Winther did rob the bank. And then they would get a search warrant for a temporary violation of my liberty. Very temporary, just to search my home for a couple of hours. Now, the reason why that is a lesser standard is because it is a very temporary, short-term, specific violation of my liberty. So we have only two standards in Blackstone. That is beyond a reasonable doubt, which is not necessarily given a statistical probability, but I would say it's 99% or higher. Uh, or the other standard is probable cause, which is 51% or higher. Now, we could debate in a pandemic which standard to use to violate someone's rights. I would argue for the, the higher standard. But uh, even if you take the lower standard of, uh, beyond, of probable cause, mm-hmm. you know, the and 51% we're still way beyond standard, that. we're still away from that. The government to keep the church from meeting would have to prove that the people they're prohibiting from meeting, each one individually is 51% likely to harm someone else. And additionally, they'd have to prove those other people are not willing to be harmed. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, again, it's just, it's so far outside of the scope of what they are supposed to be doing. And we've allowed it and we've allowed it. And because we've allowed it, you know, I was thinking, you know, speaking in uh, Orlando a couple weeks ago and I said, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, I hope that the American people are waking up. Because we have just allowed our government to tell us who's essential and who isn't. Now we're letting them do this with vaccine. Again, a whole other, that's a, an entirely other podcast. But doesn't the Constitution speak to this? It does, right? It certainly speaks to search and seizure and probable cause. Yes, absolutely. And right to assembly, uh, you know, peaceable assemblies granted. And going from a constitutional perspective, the Constitution was intended to limit only the federal government originally, not the states. However, uh, the courts have adopted a standard called incorporation. And the standard of incorporation says there are certain rights in the Bill of Rights that um, incorporate or also apply to state governments. And so many of our Bill of Rights have been expanded by the courts, and you can argue whether or not this is a good or a bad thing, but they've been expanded to say not only can the federal government not infringe your right to assembly, but the states. Uh, That's an incorporated right that applies to the states as well. Um, 
And, and again, we have state constitutions, which are all different. But in most, in most cases, uh, what we're seeing happening is violating the state constitutions as well. And another point to be made here is the idea of legislation. Now, there's the big question of what the proper rule of government is. There's the second question of how you get there. Uh, in other words, how do laws get passed? And at the federal level, and in all 50 states in America, we have legislative bodies. Laws are made by the legislatures. And yet I think you'd be hard pressed to find any of these COVID restrictions that have been passed by any legislature. No, that's right. Well, what they've done is they've given a sweet here in Washington state, they've given our governor sweeping authority in the so-called case of an emergency. And what we're learning is you give these guys this kind of authority, they don't give it back. And, uh, and it's like, there were no, there were no limits on it. Let's see from the position of Congress, what can be done in your opinion, what should be done and can anything be done from a congressional level so that this never happens again. Every legislative body in the country, federal or state, should see have we given or have we passed any legislation to give emergency powers to our chief executive. If we have any legislation that gives emergency powers to a president or a governor, those should all be reviewed and I believe should be all repealed. Yes. Yeah. And it, and and we're realizing, you know, because I, I was thinking, in other words, what we just learned from our from our government, particularly in states like California and Oregon and Washington. Here's the governor, the government to the people. Sit down, shut up, mind your betters. That's that's what we just learned. And it, it's a terrifying it's a terrifying place that that we are in right now. And I think that the confusion of the people is warranted because they're looking around and they're going something's wrong, but they don't know what. And what you're saying is, what's wrong is the government has overstepped its bounds. That's the bottom line, correct? That's the bottom line. You go back to that key question, what is the proper role of government? And we need to train ourselves and we need to learn what that is and be able to apply it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what, so, uh, and I, and let's, let's end here because I want, I want people to walk away and remember, you know, have a, have a takeaway from this um, amazing conversation. What is now the obligation of the citizens of our country and of individual states and individual counties and individual districts? What is now the responsibility of the citizens who realize, oh my goodness, we're in trouble? Well, the citizen needs to apply pressure to their local officials first. They need to apply pressure to their police chiefs and their sheriffs and their city councils to say these are unjust actions. And the local officials should be countermanding or saying, we will not enforce these state laws. Uh, secondarily, uh, the citizen needs to be educating their fellow citizens, uh, whether that's a conversation over the backyard fence or whether it's on an internet blog or whatever, we have to educate our fellow citizens about the proper role of government. That's right. And one of the things that I have seen as I've been traveling uh, the district in Washington state and actually even around the country, this is exciting to me. I think maybe one of the, I can see two silver linings of the Rona. One is that people are pulling their kids out of the indoctrination center, otherwise known as the public school. And two, citizens are starting to say, whoa, we better, 
we can't sit here on a Friday night anymore and just have a beer and pretend nothing's wrong. We need to start talking to our neighbors. Having I had I met a woman in Pacific County, Washington, who is doing something called conversations. I think she's calling it conservative conversations. And just every weekend she's open in her home and she's saying, hey, bring some food over. We're going to talk about what's going on. And they're educating people about the Constitution. They're talking about the proper role of government. And that needs to happen so that ordinary citizens understand their place in our government. No, that's exactly right. We've been encouraging that. And we as an organization have a lot of materials, courses, videos, and things that people are now doing. They're inviting friends over for dessert and watching some of our, our videos. Uh, churches are using their social hall and having education time and having 50 people come in and go through classes. We have to begin to educate ourselves. That That's where it starts. We educate first and then we take action. Yeah, that's right. One of the things that that um, I have noticed over many years now, because I've been, you know, barely involved politically and certainly more of a pundit on the side, but absolutely watching, is that we have a woefully uneducated electorate, and and in the wake of that, a tyrannical government can be formed. All it all it takes is for us to not understand what our rights are and what our responsibilities are. I thought this was so interesting in the newspaper I read on PJ Media talking about Governor Newsom in California. He said, if Newsom believes that the state is safe enough to reopen, then it's safe for people to be able to make decisions for themselves without his arbitrary and capricious rules. This was the, the California Senate Republican leader. He said, I believe it's time for him to hang up his crown and restore the democracy. And as I was reading the California senator's Bingo. Bingo. That's the key. Yeah, it's easy for us to look at the practical and we look at the inconsistency of mass, no mask or restaurants, no restaurants. And we look at all these practical considerations, but that's not where the, the intellectual battle lies. The, the philosophical battle is uh, what is the proper role of government at all? Uh, and we easily get sucked into Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal, when really we got to look into what is the absolute standard of what civil government should do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in and in so doing, instead of the fruit, the fruit would be these unconstitutional, ridiculous lockdowns, the mask mandates. That's the fruit, but the root is. We have forgotten the proper role of government and we need to restore it. And that's going to have to start with every citizen in every local magistrate getting involved in their local city government. And it needs to start now because the hour is late. It is late. And we got to protect our kids. I see family after family who does understand the proper role of government, but they raise a generation of kids who do not. And part of it is they're not teaching enough at home. But part of it is we're turning our kids over to the government to educate our kids about government. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is hello. <laughs> you know, that's like uh, that's like the guy selling the snake oil, you know, for the pandemic that he created. You know, woo, a lot of a lot of places we can go with that. Well, Mike Winther, it has been an absolute joy to have you here. I know that there are a lot of people listening who are going to want to find out what are these resources that you're talking about? Where can people find them? Well, the easiest way is our website. Uh, our web address is principlestudies.org. Uh, that's P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. Uh, studies.org, uh, or they can call our phone number, uh, area code 209-575-2005, 
and we can put them in touch with books, audios, articles, uh, videos. We have a 20-hour course on government that is available for streaming that goes into government economics from a biblical perspective, and uh, it's a great eye-opening course. And they can, yeah, the phone number is area code 209-575-2005. And the publication that you received, uh, that is still available. People can email us or call us, and we'll send them that publication on COVID civil authority in the church. Oh man, everybody should do that because that that's how I got uh, you on here is that one of your staffers sent it to me and I literally I earmarked that thing. I highlighted it. I was like, oh my goodness, I got to get these guys on the show because you really are explaining this in a way that regular people can understand and begin to actually take action because that's what it's going to have to take. It's every citizen who loves this country and does not want to lose what God has so graciously given us. And uh, was it Ben Franklin said, you know, when coming out of the hall in uh, Philadelphia, what kind of a government did you give us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. And we're very close to losing it. We are not keeping it right now. That's absolutely true. Mike Winther, it's been a joy and a privilege to have you on. I hope we're coming back again because, for goodness sake, we should start talking about vaccine passports. That'll be exciting. And uh, I'd love (laughs) to hear, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'd love to hear your opinion on that and how you think uh, citizens can stand up against this stuff. It's just been a blessing to have you here, and I wish you all the best at the Institute for Principal Studies. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. For more information, visit Principal Studies. That's P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E, principalstudies.org. And for the notes on this show, as always, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, scroll down, and we will link back to all of these things in the show notes today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope it's an encouragement for you to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. Our nation is worth defending, it's worth fighting for, and it's time for regular people to get engaged in the battle. We'll see you back here next time.